live from the Garden of the Pizza Fairies, it's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 110, Quantum Action Squad 7. In this episode, we have Confessions of a Time Traveler and RPG Prompts. And now, let's get on with the show. Greetings, gentle listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Doc Cross, and for once, I'm not recording this a month in advance. I'm recording it on time, uh, Friday afternoon, as a matter of fact, and it will go up uh, Monday, and that's about four days before Thanksgiving, and I hope you all have a good Thanksgiving this year. We are going up to my sister's house, as we do most years, and we'll have some great food, and I'll get to see my niece Molly's two little twin girls, and unfortunately the dogs will have to stay home because my dogs and their dogs don't get along. Uh, My sister's dogs are big and very protective of everything, and so we just leave the boys here for a few hours, and they probably won't destroy the house. Anyway, we have a Another just two-part podcast this time, and we've been doing that recently, and I probably will continue to do it for a while because it's easier on me. And this time, we've got uh, Confessions of a Time Traveler and RPG Prompts, as I said up front. But before we do any of that, of course, we have to thank my patrons, the wonderful people who send me money every month and who help me keep this podcast going and who honestly help pay for me to go to Dundercon every year. So, thank you, Avis. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jame. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, David. And thank you, Peter. You guys are great, and I hope you enjoy the show. One more show note is to say that this month, November, there will be no horror movie review. And that's simply because I did five of them last month, and I kind of wanted to take a break. But rest assured, there'll be one in December and every month after that for a long, long time, because there are a shitload of horror movie reviews to do, and that will barely get me out of the 1930s and 40s. And now that we've cleared that up, let's get on with the rest of the show. All right, ladies and gents, it is time for another episode of Confessions of a Time Traveler. Today's entry is titled, Holmes Sweet Holmes. One of the big problems of jumping around time, space, and alternate realities is that you very often meet people out of what some would call the proper chronological order. No example points this out better than my long relationship with the Sherlock Holmes of Earth-199-D. Earth-199D, starting around 1830, is more steampunk than our world. The laws of physics are a bit looser to accommodate things like giant steam mecha and cities beneath the sea. There are no fantasy races or creatures, but there are lost civilizations, cryptids, and odd powerful ancient relics. The whole world is just a little more adventure-filled. Things on that Earth are also much more egalitarian than they were or are on our Earth. Seeing women or people of color in positions of power is pretty common, and that leads us to Sherlock Holmes, consulting detective, and his wife, 
Jenny Watson Holmes, freelance inventor. We'll just let that sink in a bit. So, to speed things up, Sherlock's mother was Spanish, his older brother Mycroft is less fat and more actively entwined in the workings of the Empire, John Hamish Watson, M.D., still writes up Sherlock and Jenny's adventures from his home in London, and Jenny and Sherlock married young, and they live on a cattle ranch east of Oakland, California, with their five children and Jenny's mom. Now, I first met the Holmes when I accidentally fell through a time portal into a warehouse in New York City in 1881. No sooner had I landed on a very large and soft pile of wool blankets than a strong feminine hand clasped itself over my mouth, and a Scottish-tinged voice said, Please be quiet, Doc, or you'll get Sherlock killed. Now, I've become pretty used to weird shit happening to me over the years, so I nodded and she let me go. Standing up, I saw a slightly taller-than-usual woman dressed in boots, trousers, and a black cotton shirt. Her hair was red and cut in a bob. She was very pretty, but not really beautiful. She had a bit of grease on her cheek. Obviously, she knew me pretty well, because after a second, she hugged me and told me in a whisper how glad she was to see me again. After the hug, she brought me up to speed on things, sort of. It seems that I had first met Sherlock when he was a boy, then again, just before their wedding. The current time was eight years after the wedding, and Sherlock had let himself be taken prisoner by Professor Moriarty so that he could find out Moriarty's latest plot. Now, she told me, was the time to rescue Holmes and give Moriarty his comeuppance. A couple of minutes later, as the Napoleon of Crime raised his hand to shoot Holmes with a freezing ray, Jenny shot two of his henchmen with some sort of electrical tommy gun, while I ran forward and body-slammed Moriarty into a heavy wooden container. A couple of punches later, and he was out cold and his other two henchmen had run off at full speed into the waiting arms of the police. Jenny released her husband from his bonds, and then he gave me a big hug. Then he kicked the awakening Moriarty in the head. I was processing everything that had just happened, which had even my weird shitometer edging into the red, when the two of them started laughing. Oh, Doc, Jenny said, the look on your face is priceless. You might want to close your mouth, old friend. There are flies about. Having said that, Holmes laughed in what was, to me, a totally unHolmesian manner. After another minute, they composed themselves, and we set about tying up Moriarty and his thugs. We then loaded them into an impressive-looking steam touring car and carted them off to the police headquarters, where Sherlock explained that Moriarty had planned to rob the North American Diamond Exchange later that night and make off with $10 million in diamonds, which is a lot of money, for back then. The police commissioner thanked us all profusely, and then we left for the Holmes's hotel suite to clean up before going out to dinner. Along the way, Sherlock explained to me that I would meet him again when he was ten years old and away at school. I would talk with him and give him some insight on both girls and doing what you love to do in life. Apparently, that set him off on his adult path. The second time I would meet him was two days before he and Jenny's wedding at age 18. He was a bit vague about that meeting, so as not to spoil the surprise, he said. But it seems I had told him about meeting him tonight, which is why Jenny and the big pile of wool blankets were ready for me. So, to update, this was the first time I met Holmes, but the third time he met me. Like I said, time travel is seldom really linear. Or, as the other guy said, it's all wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey. The rest of the evening was filled with all sorts of mostly one-sided chatting between old friends if one of those old friends had just met you. It was a bit strange, 
but a couple of bottles of champagne smoothed things out. They were and are two wonderful people. As we walked to the car, Jenny hugged me again and gave me a kiss on the cheek. It was so good to see you again, Doc. Give our love to Grace and the Critters. Then it was Sherlock's turn to give me a hug and shake my hand. So long, my dear friend. I look forward to seeing you again sometime, hopefully much less surprised. And then a time portal opened up under me, and I fell into the swimming pool on the bus. From another room, I heard Sasha yell, Softest landing I could think of on short notice, Daddy. I was home. Okay, it's time once again for RPG prompts. And the three we have today are entertainment, light, and horses. Now, they may not seem related, and I suppose I could make them related, but really that's something for a three-box problem, not RPG prompts. So, let's go ahead and start with entertainment. Now, in most fantasy games, entertainment for the player characters generally tends to be going to the pub and listening to whatever music's playing and maybe watching a dancing girl or something like that. Or they get their entertainment by watching monsters fight in the distance or something of that nature. But actual entertainment, even when one of your players has the entertainer background or they're a uh, a rogue who masquerades as an entertainer or whatever, that very seldom actually happens. That's one of those things that, you know, it's part of the game and you write your character up that way, but if you don't play them that way, nobody seems to notice. You could have entertainment in any game be a crucial portion of the game, uh, if no other reason than having entertainers in trouble. Now, that works well in pulp games, mystery games, uh, even in modern stuff, you've got a movie star or a television star or a recording star or something, and they're in trouble, and they come to the PCs, or the PCs get involved because they have heard about the problems or they know the person, something like that. In fantasy games or horror games or something like that, it could be the same thing. They know of this person, and there's shit going on, and they're going to help them. The entertainers can sometimes also help the PCs by possibly distracting somebody while the PCs do something they're not supposed to be doing, or perhaps they teach the PCs how to act like a different type of person, like say your player characters in a fantasy game need to pose as wise sages from faraway land who have come to visit the king, and the king likes sages to come visit him because he loves learning stuff. But your PCs are a bunch of, you know, murder hobos, so they don't know how to act like a sophisticated or even educated person. So they go to the entertainer, the actor, a group of actors, and they teach them how to do it. They say, no, 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 no. First of all, you don't stand and pick your nose while you're talking to the king. You've got to act this way, talk this way, do this, do that. This can happen in, in any genre, but especially in fantasy or something like that. In other games, other genres, horror, for instance, you can have a single PC in terrible peril, and they have a link to the entertainment industry. Like, the head of the studio, his right-hand secretary has gone missing, 
and she really is the one who knows how everything runs at the place. So he's got to get her back. And you find out that she's been kidnapped, or maybe she's willingly become part of a cult. And you have to go get her out of that cult, save her. Get her back to Louis V. Mayer or whoever is in charge of the studio. That can be a whole adventure right there. Entertainment could be why you're going from place to place. Maybe you're not actually going from place to place on you know, an assignment that some wizard or king or somebody gave you. Maybe you're following a group of entertainers because you really like them. You're like fantasy world deadheads. And you get into adventures along the way. If you are playing a game where your characters are not murder hobos or not interested in combat all the time, you could actually have the players playing entertainers, a traveling troupe. Maybe they're Shakespearean, maybe they're just comedy, maybe they're musicians, whatever the deal, they're entertainers, they're traveling, they're going from place to place, and they're getting in various adventures and entanglements and things like that. So yeah, entertainment, that really needs to be more of a thing in games, and I hope you use it. Our next word is light. Now, of course, we have the light that comes from the sky, and you can have light from, you know, various sources. You can have the light that comes from a god, you know, who's giving his blessing to you or is shining a light to show you which way to go, things like that. In outer space games, science fiction games, light can be, you know, put down into a coherent beam like a laser and blast holes in things. You can do that in really any modern or future setting. You can have light be something you can manipulate. There are a whole lot of light spells that uh, exist in fantasy and other genres. And you can make illusions, which are really just manipulating light. Uh, you can have light be a way to communicate. What if your player characters, regardless of genre, get into a place where you can't make sound? Maybe you can't do sound because... Sound doesn't exist. Maybe some weird dimension where there's no sound. Maybe you can not communicate because there's a vacuum out there. and You're wearing a suit, and you may be able to communicate if you put your face masks right together, and the other person can get the vibrations or something like that. But really, no, you can't speak. But you can use lights. You can flash lights, you know, do Morse code. You could have a predetermined uh, light language to take and use, like using different colors and things, you know, like a, a blue, green, red might mean one thing, and, and red, red, yellow might mean another thing. So that's a way to communicate. So yeah, light, it's all around us, at least half of the day, and even into the night in modern times. And it's a little thing you can play around with in your games, and make some interesting stuff happen. Finally, we come to horses. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I've ridden horses. It's been a very, very long time, 50 years since I last rode a horse, probably. And horses are not only very intelligent animals, not only very loving animals when they're bonded to a person, horses can also be completely fucking squirrely. They can be nervous. They can be self-destructive. They can be stubborn. 
They can be downright stupid. They can be incredibly athletic. And they can love having a person riding them. Or they can not really want anybody on them. And they buck you off and they kick you and stuff like that. Horses are just wonderful creatures, but they're just very idiosyncratic and they're very goofy, really. <laughs> they're a lot like dogs. Horses and dogs have a lot in common. But in role-playing games, in especially fantasy, you very often have people riding around on horses, and the horses don't get a whole hell of a lot of attention. It's like, well, we ride up there and we tie our horses to a tree, and we go into the dungeon, and we're in the dungeon for four days, and we come out, we get on our horses and ride home. Ah, uh, no. Unless you tie your horses up real well, and unless it's a place where predators do not exist, you're probably not going to have horses when you come back out. They will have pulled the reins free, bitten through them. Don't even think that a horse won't chew through a rein if it's hungry or thirsty. And let's face it, you never leave water and food for your horses. Nobody ever says that. I've been running games for 40-odd years, and I can count on the fingers of one hand all the time they've taken care of the horses before they went somewhere. Um, it happens in all genres, not just fantasy. Modern games, if they have to ride horses in some place. You see more care for horses in games about the Old West than you do anything else. Anything else. Unless maybe you're playing a game where you're a member of the cavalry. And in that case, yeah, you'd probably just say, well, I'm taking care of my horse. And that covers doing a whole brush down, take care of the hooves, everything like that. Um, horses, besides being beasts of burden, horses are edible. The French, to this day, eat horse meat. There are other places where horse meat is eaten. It is, in the United States, about on a par of eating dog or cat, which people eat in other countries. But, yeah, if you're hungry, a horse has a lot of meat on it. Now, since a horse is an animal that runs a lot and exercises a lot, and you know, uses those muscles a lot, horse meat is generally going to be pretty friggin' tough. If the horse is a, you know, one that's been kept in a corral and he's been fed well and he doesn't do much more than walk around, he's going to be more tender. But I guarantee you, if you have to kill a wild Mustang to eat, you're not going to be just whacking off a steak and cooking it up and eating it. It's going to be tough as a boot. Horses, like I said, are intelligent. They can be taught to do tricks. Um, we played in a Western-themed game in one con, and one of the ladies there was a horse person, and she established right from the beginning that her horse had been taught many tricks. And the GM said, yeah, okay, horses can learn tricks. And she had her horse pull our fat out of the fire more than once in that four-hour session. She taught him to chew through ropes. She had taught him to uh, attack people that she indicated. Stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. So yeah, horses are intelligent. They are probably smarter than dogs. And they're not smart as pigs. I know that's a big argument between people, between horse people and pig people, is which is the smartest. I guarantee you, it's pigs. All right? It's pigs by a, by a long shot. But horses are still very, very smart, smarter than dogs. 
Anyway, horses, they have a place in our games, and we should actually discuss them more and take better care of them and use them more in our games. And that's our RPG prompts for this time. We'll have more in a few weeks. And so we're at the end of another episode. I would like to thank all of you folks for listening today. And if you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. If you are listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. And you patrons over on Patreon can just leave me a message there, and I'll get it right away because they'll send me an email. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear all of these podcasts two months before they go up on Anchor, go to www.patreon.com forward slash doccross and pledge whatever amount you care to, and I'll love you for it. For you people who only want to make maybe an occasional donation or just do it once, you can use my coffee page, and I am told it is pronounced coffee, and that's at coffee, and I am Doc Cross 4591 If you would like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned earlier. Our music this episode, and for the next few episodes, was Jumpin' Boogie Woogie off of Audionautics. This podcast and everything on it, except that sweet, sweet music, is copyright 2022 by Doc Cross. I will see you all next week. Live long and prosper.